In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today's scripture is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, page 1158 of your NIV Bible. Unity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthy regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting lineman, grows and builds its, itself up to love, as each part does its works. This is the word of the Lord. It's my privilege to, to welcome John Vissers here. Uh, John is a former senior minister of Knox Church, and he is the present principal of Knox College and uh, a leader uh, in our church um, in Canada. And because of those three things, he needs prayer. And uh, so we're going, to, we're going to pray for him as he, uh, as he brings the word. Please join me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for John. And we don't take his presence with us this morning for granted. We thank you for his love and for his history and for his interest in the people and the vision and the mission of Knox Church. We pray that in his many roles as husband and father and grandfather and principal and neighbor and mentor, we pray that you would fill him with all the measure of God. Give him a winsome witness. Give him wisdom from above. Most of all, give him love as he continues to answer your call in giving leadership in the church in Canada. And for this time, we pray that you would fill him by your spirit and anoint him for the preaching of your word for which we will open our hearts and our ears. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Very good. You've been well trained. You've been well trained. It's a delight to uh, be back at Knox Church. As uh, Paul has said, of course, uh, we have a, a long history uh, with this congregation and uh, the people of Knox Church and the places of Knox Church, the spaces within this building, uh, all hold really uh, significant moments for me. Um, I was uh, standing here this morning as we were singing and thinking about the fact that we were received here and welcomed uh, so wonderfully and graciously when uh, I came to be the, uh, the senior minister back in the 90s. And we were sent off from this room as well uh, after uh, our ministry here um, uh, came to an end and I was called to Montreal to be principal of Presbyterian College. Uh, I played basketball in this gym with some of the young people over the years. Um, it's the one sport I actually can play and I'm pretty good at, so uh, I used to play with the kids a lot in here. But I was thinking this morning, and I don't think I've ever told this story before, is that in this room in 1971, when I was a teenager, there was a youth event during the March break. And uh, we played uh, sports, and uh, we were down in the bowling alley. We did all kinds of things. And then a young guy who was at that time the head of Youth for Christ in Montreal, Brian Stiller, uh, gave a talk. And uh, that was really one of the first moments as a teenager where I began to wrestle with the claims of Christ in my life. And uh, from that, uh, moved forward to make a commitment and then sense a call to ministry. And since then, Brian and I have become very good friends over the years. Um, but it was in this room, uh, and I think standing on a stage similar to this, where he issued that invitation and that call. So for all those reasons, it's a, a delight to be uh, with you this morning. And my connection is deep and my love is deep uh, for this congregation. And uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in your midst as, uh, as, you move, uh, as you move forward. I also wanted to say, some of you will know this, that um, 50 years ago, almost exactly, was when the first Korean congregation began to meet in, this, uh, in Knox Church. And from that has flourished uh, Korean Presbyterian congregations across Toronto, across Ontario, across Canada. And so this congregation over the years has fostered and given birth to many other ministries and congregations for which we are grateful. The other thing I want to say is it's a kind of interesting moment for me to be here in the sense that I was just installed as principal of Knox College two weeks ago. And, um, and some of you are there, for which uh, I am very grateful. But I sort of feel like we've come full circle because the first minister of Knox Church was one of the founders of Knox College and was the first professor of systematic theology there in 1844. And so here we are now in 2017, and uh, one of your former ministers is now the principal at Knox College. And so we sort of feel like we've 
come full circle, and I do hope and pray that as we go forward, God will give us opportunities to share and to minister together. What I want to do this morning in the time that uh, I have with you to open up the scriptures and uh, say a few things is to tie together uh, a few uh, things that are, are happening, I think, in the life of your congregation. I've taken the theme from yesterday's event, Live Called, uh, and I want to reflect on what that might mean. I'm conscious that this is your missions uh, weekend, your fall missions celebration and focus. And everywhere that I go now, especially during the month of October, uh, everywhere I go to speak, uh, I, uh, I'm talking about the Reformation and the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So somehow, all of those things are going to come together, and I hope it will be in a, uh, in a meaningful way as we, open up, uh, as we open up the Scriptures. Let me start this way. Uh, the year 2017, as you know, marks a number of important milestones in, uh, in our lives um, in a number of ways. It is, as you know, the 150th anniversary of Confederation in Canada, and yesterday at Knox College in the chapel, we had a wonderful celebration of a variety of uh, cultures from the Asian Center celebrating their journey into life in Canada and what it meant to them. It's also, if you follow these things, the 100th anniversary of the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's also the 50th anniversary since the last time they won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and I tell my students that in order to be a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you need to be a Calvinist because you have to deeply believe in the perseverance of the saints. And of course, it's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And that's where I want to really begin to focus this morning as we work our way into the scriptures. On October 31st, 1517, uh, an Augustinian monk, rather unknown at the time, Martin Luther, posted a document on a church door in a city in Germany, Wittenberg, and uh, those contain 95 statements on theology or statements, the 95 theses, challenging the church of his day. And that event sparked a revolution of which we are all heirs. We sit here this morning, we gather even here in this place in Knox Church because we in some sense are heirs of the Reformation. The Reformation is celebrated by many as the most important moment in the renewal of the church in the history of the church. That moment in which God moved and turned the heart of an Augustinian monk, which was used to spark a recovery of the gospel of grace and going back to the New Testament. By others, of course, the Reformation, uh, for others, it is lamented as the moment that divided the church that led to suffering, to warfare, to violence, to bloodshed, and even some would argue to the secular world in which we live. Now, I don't want to talk really a lot about the Reformation this morning. We don't have time to explore in detail the legacy of uh, the Reformation. I do, however, want to ask one question. And it's the question, I think, that ties together what some of the young people were looking uh, at yesterday, what ties together uh, our thinking about mission in the world today, and perhaps what 
ties together our thinking about what it means to stand in the tradition of the Reformation. And it is, what does it mean to live as children of the Reformation 500 years on? What does it mean to be followers of Jesus in this tradition? And one of the things that I want to suggest to you this morning is that it means that we live called. That we have a deep sense of what it means to be called by God. Now, in the text that was read for us in Ephesians chapter 4, starting right at verse 1, Paul urges the believers to whom he writes to lead a life worthy of And did you notice the language of the calling to which they have been called? He uses the word call or calling or called twice there. And in fact, when he says he urges them, the word that he uses there is stronger than urge. It's he begs them. I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in verse 4 he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope of your calling. Now, what I want to do this morning is just reflect with you for a few minutes and try to unpack what this means. What does it mean to be called? What does it mean to live into our calling? What does it mean to follow the call of God? Why does Paul urge and beg the Christians in Ephesus to live a life worthy of their calling? Our Reformation teachers, Luther, Calvin, and others, summed up what Paul meant by call with three words. They said, first of all, God calls us by the Holy Spirit to salvation, to trust in Christ alone, to trust in Christ alone for our salvation, to not trust ourselves, to not trust others, to not trust the church, but to trust in Christ alone. This, they said, is justification. We are justified by grace through faith alone. That is the first aspect of God's call in our lives. Secondly, they said, God then calls us to holiness, to live in the words of Paul in this passage in Ephesians with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. This, they said, is sanctification. It is God's call, the Holy Spirit's call to work within us so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. And if you want to cross-reference a text, and we won't go there this morning, but Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30, Paul there also talks about what it means to be called, what it means to be justified, what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ in allowing God's call to shape us and ultimately to be glorified. So it's justification and sanctification. Those are the two aspects, they said, of the call of God. But Kelvin and Luther went on to describe a third aspect of call, and it's this aspect of call that I want to focus on this morning. God, they said, calls us to vocation. God calls us to give our lives in the service of God. And in fact, the word vocation itself is just that vocatio, a call. And they said that God calls us 
to serve God, to live our lives in the service of God and others in our personal habits and activities, in our families, in our work and our jobs, in all of life. And I want to suggest to you this morning, I'm taking for granted that those of us who are here this morning believe that God justifies us by grace through faith alone, that we're called to holiness to live a life in conformity to Jesus Christ. But have you ever thought about this third aspect of call, this vocation, and what it means for how you live your life day by day? no matter who you are or where you find yourself. Paul urges believers to live in the light of the God who is and what God has done for them. And for the Reformers, for Luther and Calvin, and I think for the Apostle Paul, this meant all of life. It means that all of life, all of our lives, who we are, what we do, everything belongs to God. We live all of life, as the Reformers said, quorum Deo, in the presence of God and for the glory of God. And many of us have the idea, and it's developed over many, many years, I think even in the Protestant churches, that if we want to truly serve God, If we really want to be holy, if we really want to show people that we're justified, then we have to become a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or an overseas missionary. All of which are noble callings. All of which have a place and a role in the church. And to be sure, God calls many to serve in these ways But underneath it all is this call that God gives to all of us to serve Christ and the gospel, whoever we are and wherever we are. I love this story about John Calvin in Geneva in the 16th century. Calvin uh, was once approached by a baker, a man who was a baker in one of his uh, congregations in Geneva, And this baker was so moved by Calvin's preaching and by the exposition of Scripture that he wanted to give his life in a a deeper and fuller way to the Lord and to the Lord's service. So he said to Calvin, uh, how um, can I do this? How can I serve God more faithfully and more effectively? Calvin's response was interesting. He didn't tell him that he should go to seminary, although, by the way, that's a good thing, didn't tell them them that he had to become a religious leader. What he said was, go and bake the best bread that you can here in Geneva. In other words, if God has called you, if your vocation is to be a baker, then serve God as effectively as you can where you are planted. So how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to serve and follow the call of God wherever God calls us? First of all, I want to suggest that we begin by acknowledging that we are called to live our lives, all of our lives, to the glory of God alone. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation is sole deo gloria, the glory of God alone. And when we live by faith in Christ, we begin to realize that God calls us to do all things to the glory of God. Even the Lord Jesus lived to do the will of his Father. 
not his own will, and to bring glory to God his Father. The first question, as many of you know, of the Westminster Confession puts it clearly, what is our chief end as human beings? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. It's a beautiful way of putting it, because it means that God is not interested in making our lives miserable if we follow the call of God. Living to the glory of God, according to Scripture, is actually the way to human flourishing and human fulfillment. It's the upside-down values of the kingdom. You deny yourself, you find yourself. You live for the glory of God, you find fulfillment in life. One of the early church leaders puts it this way, the glory of God is human beings fully alive. God's glory is manifested when we are doing and being all that God calls us to do and all that God calls us to be. What is the glory of God? In short, the glory of God is the splendor of who God is and all that God has done. The glory of God is the brilliance of God's being and action as God has revealed to us. It is the weight and the substance of God's love and God's holiness and God's power and God's knowledge. It is the light of God which God reveals and shows to us. And when we engage in the mission of the church, the ultimate purpose for which we do so is for the glory of God. It's not just for the expansion of the church or the flourishing of an institution. It is for the glory of God. And if we ever lose that basic understanding and that basic framework, we lose what's fundamental to our faith. As human beings and as followers of Jesus, we are called to give this God praise, doxa, doxology, glory, to acknowledge who God is and what God has done by who we are and by what we do. It is to believe, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 6, that there is one God and Father of all who is over all and who is through all and who is in all. In all of life, in our personal habits, in how we spend our time, in our priorities, in how we spend our money, in how we pray, in how we live in our families, and how we do our work day by day. Whatever God calls you to do, wherever God has planted you, your first call is to glorify God in that place and in that work and in who you are. Another aspect of this, though, that I want to lift up is that we are also called... The reformers remind us, and Paul teaches, we are called to, uh, we live called rather, by bearing witness to Christ in all things. We are called to bear witness to Christ in all things. That is to say, all followers of Jesus are called to bear witness to Christ. The great commission, the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, is not a call to some religious leaders. It is a call in the New Testament to disciples, to disciples of Jesus. 
It doesn't mean that all are evangelists. Paul goes on to talk about that. Some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers, but all are disciples. And to be a disciple, to be a Christian by definition, is to be called to bear witness. The theologian Karl Barth said this, uh, that to be a Christian by definition is to be a witness. You do not become a witness as a second step to becoming a Christian. It's not like you become a Christian and then God calls you to be a witness. Rather, he said, what Paul teaches, what the New Testament teaches is that we are baptized into the very death and resurrection of Jesus and incorporated into this community called the church, the body of Christ, which God has raised up as the first fruits of redemption so that this people may offer to God the sacrifice and the praise that is worthy of God, that is due God from all creation and begin to bear witness through all creation that Jesus is Lord. That's what we're called to be. As John the Baptist, the Lamb of God, pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me suggest a practical way to begin to implement this. I now, as part of my daily uh, devotional discipline, keep a journal, which I started a number of years ago, in which I write, of course, my thoughts and my prayers and my reflections. But one of the things that I think about at the end of every day now as I put in that journal is this, as I write in that journal, were there moments today when I had an opportunity to bear witness to Christ? And did I take those opportunities? And if I did, what was the result? And if I didn't, why didn't I? And it's not always with word. It's sometimes with actions, with what we do, with what we're called to do. It's sometimes about the decision. Sometimes I'll look back on my day and realize I've made decisions, and I'll say, now, did I bear witness to Christ in the way that I made that decision and in the decision that was taken, or did I not? You see, we're all called to bear witness to Christ. This is not, let me put it this way, this is not a missionary call for some, it is a missional call for all. All are called to this missional witness, to this vocation of bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And then finally, let me just go at this from one other angle. Giving glory to God, we're called to give glory to God in all things, to bear witness to Christ in all things. Let me also suggest that Paul encourages us here and in other places to live in alignment with the Holy Spirit, to walk according to the Holy Spirit's guidance, to live our lives aligned to the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks about the fact that there is one body and one spirit one Holy Spirit, that is, and that this Spirit is at the very center of our call, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And he goes on then to say that Christ gives gifts through that Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ and the ministry of the gospel in the world. Hence this point. All are called 
to live to the glory of God in all of life. And all are called to bear witness to Christ in all of life. But not everyone is called to do this in the same way, in the same place, at the same time. The Holy Spirit calls, Paul says, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. And Calvin and Luther, in expounding on this text and in their own theology of call and vocation, also said this, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit calls others to be lawyers and doctors and barbers and bakers and engineers and physicists and nurse practitioners and musicians and artists and custodians and construction workers and scientists and politicians and accountants and managers and financial advisors and bus drivers and I've probably left out your work, but you get the point. Whatever it is you do, you are called to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's beautiful about this is that God has created each one of us, God has created each one of you uniquely in the image of God. You are a beloved son or daughter of the living God, and God invites you into a relationship with him through Christ whereby your sins may be forgiven and you may live a new life and the Holy Spirit bears fruit in each of our lives in unique ways. The way that I may show love or compassion will be different than the way you may be called to show love and compassion in a particular circumstance with a particular people. We are who we are because God loves us, because God made us, because God calls us to be and to become all that God wills us to be. God gifts us with spiritual gifts, and we don't all have the same gifts. But we're all called to use the gifts that we have. And this also doesn't mean that you have to do and be only one thing. God may call us to be and to do a number of things throughout our lives. It does mean that whoever you are and whatever you do, it ought to reflect who you are genuinely, authentically, as a child of the living God, as a disciple of Jesus. Parker Palmer has a wonderful little book called Let Your Life Speak, listening to the voice of vocation. And he asks this question, is the life I am living the same as the life that wants to live in me? Is the life I am living the same as the life that wants to live in me? Or we might put it this way, is the life that I am living the same as the life that God the Holy Spirit wants to live in me and through me? Because God calls us and God, yes, wants to change us and transform us and fit us for service in the kingdom and the reign of God, but God brings us to all that God intends us to be. There's a sense of our own human alignment with the will of God and a result, as a result, our own fulfillment and flourishing as human beings. In sum, one of the great lessons of the Reformation and a lesson that we do well to recover is that the life of faith is a life 
called. A life called. You are here because you have been called by God. One of the things that we sometimes don't realize until we kind of live life for a while, I remember my older son came to this realization quite young, but it's an incredible moment when you realize that you don't have to be here. What I mean is you don't have to exist. It's a pure act of grace. You don't have to be here, but you are. It's a pure act of grace that you breathe the life that you live, that you live the life that you live, and that you breathe the air that you breathe. And when you come to that realization that life is a gift, and that you're called by God to live in grateful response to what God has done for you, it is a transforming moment. When we live this way, we live not on our own, in our own strength, in our own loneliness and pain, but we live in the company of the triune God of grace. Just think about what I've been saying. We are called to live to the glory of God and serve to the glory of God. We're called to bear witness to Christ. We're called to live our lives in alignment with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're invited by this gracious God who by grace has created all things and given us the gift of life itself. We're invited by this gracious God into the very life of God to share in the Trinitarian life of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The great American Reformed theologian Jonathan Edwards said it this way, that God's glory is God's delight in seeing God's life alive in us. Let me say that again. God's glory is God's delight or God's joy in seeing God's life alive in us. That, says Edwards, is what joy is. God's joy in us and our joy in God. That's the life that you're invited into. That's the life that you're invited into to serve the Lord, and that's the life that you're invited to share with the world, this life in Christ. Let me conclude with one of my favorite prayers, Calvin's motto, really. He said this, My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. May that be our prayer this morning, and may God, by God's grace, bless you as you move forward. Amen.